I'm very thankful that we have not just one gospel, uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. We have four. <laughs> because sometimes I think I get the Im- it's, it's easy to get the impression that uh, when it comes to Jesus calling his disciples, that it seems like he just is playing this m- almost like hypnotic miracle on them. Like he just seems like he's a random stranger, goes up to random strangers, hey, follow me okay, we'll follow you. <laughs> and they just leave behind everything. And it just seems really awkward. Like, does he have some sort of mind control going on? And obviously, that's, that's not the case. And that's why I'm thankful for a story like today uh, in Luke's gospel that gives us a little bit of context surrounding not just uh, Simon Peter's call, but really uh, Andrew, his brother, and then James and John. And you, you, you'll understand and you'll see that there's a number of things that this has to teach us has to teach us a lot about faith and not just this nebulous faith, but really what it means to act in faith, submit in faith, but also what it means to call yourself essentially a disciple. We could have a whole series on that. Maybe we will. There's a lot (laughs) packed into that thought, but uh, really what does it mean when you come close to Jesus, what he reveals to you, and therefore how you follow after him? Now, again, uh, I'm thankful for texts like this because they give us a little bit of context about here Simon Peter's call. They're not strangers, Jesus and Peter. Uh, if you remember last week, and if you were to open your Bibles and look just a couple verses right before this, you would see that uh, Jesus has already shown up to Peter's, not just his hometown, but his actual house. His mother-in-law had a fever that apparently was life-threatening, And Jesus miraculously healed that fever, saved her, revived her back to health. And so they have this relationship, which helps us understand that when Jesus is at the shores of Galilee and there's this crowd of people coming in around him, that he didn't just go to a random boat and say, hey, let me use this boat. No, it was was Peter, right? Yes, Jesus, maybe you owe me a favor. Hey, come on, let's, let's get you out here and let's teach the people. And then things get interesting. After the teaching, after the preaching, that's when things get way more interesting than I imagine Peter ever thought they would. When he had finished speaking, Jesus said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Now, I don't know what exactly Simon Peter knows. Maybe he knows that Jesus is a carpenter by trade. Maybe he doesn't. But he knows one thing is for sure, whether he's a preacher, a teacher, a good guy, he's not a fisherman. And here he is telling veteran fishermen what to do and how to do their job. How do you think that would go if I were to show up to your office this week? If I were to show up to your job site and your work site this week, uh, whatever it is, and just, hey, you uh, you should do it this way. Uh, Why don't you do this instead, you know, maybe? Probably probably not the best. Maybe some of you who know me a little bit more would give me a, a little bit more patience and grace, but you probably would just say, Pastor, would, Pastor, I'm awkwardly going to tell you to just stop talking and go away, right? Not Peter. Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything, but because you say so, I will let down the nets. Now, you can see the hesitation. You can, you can hear the doubt in his words, right? We've, we've been at this already, and this is, we, we, we've done this the whole time. It was fruitless. And every 
fiber of his veteran fishing experience and being is just telling him this is a waste of time. This is not going to do anything. This will be fruitless. Why? But he does it. Because you notice what he calls him. He calls him master. Again, as much as he may not know yet about Jesus or may not believe yet about Jesus, he knows one thing. I've heard you preach, I've heard you teach, and I've seen you do miracles. So, yeah, maybe you're not a fisherman, but you're definitely on a different plane than the rest of us, you know, folk are. So, okay, I seems fruitless, but I'll submit. And this is actually something so critical. It's our first point today. It tells us really what acting in faith is. It's submitting even when we're doubting. It's submitting even when you're saying, I don't know about this. Sometimes uh, I hear people talk about Christian faith as if it's this blind faith. We believe with no evidence whatsoever. And I would say that's not true at all. There's plenty of evidence. We believe we act out in faith apart from the evidence. All these promises of God, and yet there's this still thought in our minds that's like, I don't see how this could work out. I really don't but I'm going to do it anyways, but I'm going to trust, but I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow. Now, this kind of faith is not just something that we will limit to Christianity, our faith in God. This is the same thing that you do with those close personal relationships that you have, okay? Someone maybe asks you to do something, and you say, I'm hesitant, I don't think, but I'm going to do it anyways. And you do it because it's built on two things about that person. Your depth of relationship that you have with that individual and their qualifications. Now, if I lost you with that, let me illustrate it this way. I hope this makes it a little bit clearer. Let's say you're driving around in your 2005 rusted out, smile-hungry Ford Taurus with water coming through every puddle that you hit. Oddly specific, Pastor. And you're going down the road, and suddenly you hear the noise. You feel the shimmy and the shake, and you see the ding, check engine light comes on. You're near your best friend's house, so you pull into your best friend. They come out, and they say, what's going on? You're like, I don't know. You pop the hood, and then you get really nervous. Why? Because you hear them banging on this, and they're yanking on that, and quickly you close the hood without jamming their fingers underneath the hood. Why? Well, they're your best friend. You trust them, yes, but you don't trust them to work on cars because they are less qualified than you to work on a car, right? You're not even sure if they're qualified to know how to hold a wrench properly. You definitely don't want them working on something there, so what's your other option? Go to a mechanic. Go to a qualified professional to take that in. And yet, what's the nervousness there? And if you've ever had a car or will own a car or you've moved places, you know what makes you nervous. Yeah, this, this person, there's probably a dozen of them that are professional and qualified, but I don't know this person. Are they going to give me a run for my money? Are they going to charge me three times, five times, ten times the amount that it takes, right? You don't have that relationship trust, even though they're more than qualified to fix it. Which is why all of you who have a car and all of you who have taken it into the shop know that when you find a good, solid mechanic, you don't care if they're a half hour away, you don't care if they're an hour away, you're going to go, you're going to take your car to the mechanic, you're going to move heaven and earth, jump through a million hoops just to get that car to that trusted mechanic because they're qualified and you have a relationship with them. 
That's how it works with the Bible talking about faith. There's this passage from Romans 8. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also, along with him, graciously give us all things? He says, you want to talk about a depth of relationship? God didn't even spare his own son. His one and only son gave him up for you. And you want to talk about qualifications. He took away your sins. And not only did he take away your sins, he rose from the grave, right? Easter morning, he's alive. Can, can you do those things? No, of course not. He loves you. He is qualified. And that means that he is more than capable of taking on and following through the goods with all of his other promises. So now what's this mean practically for you and I? Practically, what it means is this. Where is God calling you in his word to act in faith, to put out into some deep waters, to let down your nets, and you're a little hesitant? More than that, you're dubious and you just can't do it. I think for some of you, maybe it's um, generosity. A life of generosity that you've, you've heard the pastors, you've heard the sermons, you, you know the passages. Test me in this, God says, and see if I won't open up the floodgates. It's more blessed to give than to receive. That you reap what you sow. If you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly, but if you sow generously, you reap generously. You know that. But what gets in the way is right here. Pastor, I went to first grade. And subtraction is not addition. And I know that 4 minus 2 does not equal 6. It equals 2. That when you have and you take away, you have less. And, and I know what God says, but I just have this hard time following through. For some of you, maybe what God is asking you to do is have a, a hard conversation with someone. Uh, maybe you have to talk to someone about their sin. Uh, maybe you have to talk to someone um, in a, in a spiritual manner that you just, you're afraid that they're going to tune you out and tune you away. And you know what God says. You, you know his word says, well, it's not you they're rejecting. It's me they're rejecting. I'm there with you. The Holy Spirit is working through your words. But all you're thinking is, I know what you say, God, but every fiber of my emotion is telling me that they're going to reject me. Maybe it's a priority issue. You know what God says, right? Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. But, but that means more time for him, which means less time for everything else. And I already have a slim margin. And that means like less time for, for work, less time for personal life, less time for family. Less Where is God calling you to push out in the waters? Acting in faith means defying that conventional wisdom. It means saying no to every ounce of your being, your rationale, your logic, your emotions, getting rid of that and saying, like, in spite of that, trust. <laughs> like, submit to God. Because that's the only way that those promises, those blessings, actually come true and are real in your life. And that's exactly what Peter experienced right here, right? Despite all odds in his mind, okay, I'm going to do this. And what happens? 
When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And when they had filled both boats so full, they began to sink. Now think about this. Professional fishermen. I wonder how many years between at least the four of them there were, and they have never experienced something like this. Their nets, they're, they're beginning to break, right? They're beginning to capsize. Both boats, professional fishing boats, are beginning to sink. Like, this is incredible, and you would expect the reaction to be what? Like, you get to shore, you're thankful to be alive, but then elation, right? Like, what? Are you kidding me? Like, look at this cargo that we just got in. Think of the profit, that they just got for this haul, a record number, undoubtedly the largest catch they've ever had, but not just that. Think of the emotional toll, right? Think of the story, the high that they were just on. Finally, a fishing story that is real that you can trust, right? Like, no, we really caught this many fish. We really, and and you would have that for years to come, and all off of what? A fluke, a whim. Let's just see what happens. You would expect that, and yet that is not at all what Matthew, or excuse me, what Luke records. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. Totally not what you'd expect. Showing you there is a whole lot more going on underneath the surface of the story than there appears to be, just like the lake that day, right? Why would he react this way? It's because for the first time, maybe the first time ever, Simon gets it. Now, Peter, he's heard the preaching. He's heard the teaching. He's witnessed the miracles, even close to himself, his mother-in-law, right? But now, he understands exactly who Jesus is. Lord. The Lord. The Lord God. The Messiah. The Holy One from God. And he understands who he is. And suddenly things get really uncomfortable. (laughs) Because this epiphany, this light, whatever is happening, going on, and he sees it and he recognizes it and he said, get away from me. Because I do not and I cannot be in your holy presence. I don't deserve to be here. Now, have you ever had a similar realization I'll be transparent with you. For me, this didn't really happen in God's word until it was about probably my last year at the seminary that I started to get uncomfortable reading my Bible. And here's what I mean by that. It's not that I haven't read my Bible before. Um, I was a seminary student, after all, studying to be a pastor, so that was part of the training, right? And I had read it uh, probably, you know, so many different times, all these passages and whatnot, but I think the main thing that I was reading for was just a knowledge-based understanding. Okay, so I can memorize these passages as proof places to go to for this doctrine of faith or for this doctrine of whatever. And okay, I can, I can know these teachings so that way I can defend what we say, defend the Bible, and, and if someone believes something else here, well, then I can bring up these teachings and these doctrines and these places where it's taught, and I can, I can study the Bible so that I can be able to explain it well. I'll be able to teach other people. I can explain the logical narrative and flow of thought and the story and the history and on and on and on. And it wasn't until someone taught me how to actually apply the Bible to myself that I really started to get uncomfortable. 
because I would look at a parable that I've probably read 50 times where Jesus is trying to wake someone up, trying to condemn something, trying to show some sin, and, and suddenly I'd say, and there's me. Like, that's me that he's, that he's talking to. And he's calling out the Pharisees for their hypocrisy. And I would say, just like me. And I'd see in the Old Testament history, what do you know, Israelites' faithlessness once again, just like me. And once again, God reminding them of the same thing over and over again, just like me, because I haven't learned my lesson either. And suddenly what was, what was staring at me in the face was not just a bunch of factoids, but my sin, my ego, my pride, my hypocrisy, you name it, it was there. And I couldn't look away, and you know what? It's incredibly uncomfortable. Have you ever experienced that? Have you ever gone through the word and had a, a moment where you're near Jesus and you feel, I shouldn't be here. This is wrong. I, and if you've never have, if, if it's always just happy-go-plucky all the time and, oh, it's totally fine and everything, then I would propose to you that maybe you have never actually encountered the real Jesus. Because when God reveals this to you, your own Peter-like moment, and he shows you the mirror of his law and what exactly you look like compared to his word, you know what it makes you want to do? It makes you want to be like Peter and fall down at his knees and say, get away from me. Because my pride, my ego, my greed, my selfishness, all of those things juxtaposed to God's holiness, there is no greater contrast. There is, God, get away from me. I do not deserve to be here. It is uncomfortable, it is awkward, and maybe that right there is the reason why I and maybe a lot of us today never want to deal with it because it's uncomfortable, because it's awkward, because we'd much rather point fingers at everyone else and call out everyone else about their sin and talk about the world and how it's just going to you know where and all that sorts of stuff. And we'd much rather talk about all of that stuff because it's easier and it's more comfortable than dealing with the mess that you see every day. But if you don't want to deal with it, that's just, nope, push it off. And by the way, this is one of the reasons why in my small group ministry, I have a principle. And if any of you guys are in that small group ministry, I see several of you guys, maybe this rings a bell. Us, not them. In our small group, wherever we're meeting, we don't talk about them. We don't bring up whomever or whatever or whatever sin someone else has or whatever your dad said or whatever the work was going on. We don't talk about it. Why? Because we have enough of a mess going on. We're not going to slaughter the fifth commandment. We're not going to slaughter the eighth commandment. We're going to talk about ourselves. We're going to get real with ourselves because that's who God wants to transform. Us. Me. I've got enough to worry about right there. And if that sounds weird to you, getting in a group of people, opening up your Bibles and confronting your sin and talking about your sin, then maybe I'd propose to you, you're scared. Because you've never done it. Because it's hard. Because it's awkward. Because it's uncomfortable. But you need to understand 
the only way for Jesus to grow you and to move you, Pat, to renew you and to transform you into the disciple he wants you to be is if he forces you to confront it. It's our, it's our point today that we're really trying to draw out here too. Getting close to Jesus, as you see with Peter, it's uncomfortable. But make no mistake, it is always, always worth it. And that's what the rest of this story shows. Peter cannot stand himself. He is so annoyed and upset with his own self that he says, Lord, I know who you are and you need to go away from me right now. He's upset with himself. He hates himself, but not Jesus. Jesus isn't going anywhere. Jesus does not hate Peter. Why? Because he doesn't know Peter? No. No, he knows Peter. He knows Peter in and out. He knows who he was. He knows who he is. He knows that Peter is going to be the one to deny him three times right before his crucifixion. And in spite of all that, he intentionally got into his boat not to judge him, but to rescue him. And look what he says. Don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. And I'm sort of joking, not really joking, that I cut out probably three to 500 words from my sermon to not talk about all the implications here about the foreshadowing work that G Peter, Andrew, James, and John would do for the early Christian church. So maybe we'll talk about it in our small groups here. Who knows? But, but essentially what Jesus is saying is, Peter, now you get it. Not just who I am, not just who you are. You get grace. And that is what uniquely qualifies you to go fish for people and tell other people about my grace. You've experienced it, and now you go and tell them. It's not about you, it's about me. And the reaction is staggering. So they pulled up their boats to shore, left everything, and followed him. Now you can read over that verse a million times and not, not get it, right? Historians will say that the fishing industry, if you were pretty good at it, it was probably like an upper middle class to even lower upper class kind of industry, right? You could rake it in. You could make bank off of this industry, okay? And maybe the closest thing I could relate it to is kind of like Deadliest Catch, on Discovery Channel, if you've followed that over the last decade or however long that's been out, I think it's still out, so maybe I'm dating myself. But deadliest catch, right? Go up to the shores of Alaska, work in the crab boat industry, and what can you do? Work for a few months, work weird hours, be away from your family, work long nights and days, no days off, but for a relatively few short, well, few long months, you can come home with a whole year's salary, and then some perhaps. It's dangerous, it's hard, it's grueling, but if you can do it and if you can cut it, it is a really good lifestyle. And what did these guys do? They left it behind. Like, think of the equipment costs and the boats and the nets and all the stuff. Think of the catch, the whole biggest profit that they've ever had, and they throw it back, <laughs> right? Their lives. Why would they leave it behind? Because they have found something that their career, that money, that success, nothing can touch. God's grace, God's forgiveness, 
God's mercy free of charge. And it's a pretty easy calculation to figure out which one they're going to take. So what's this mean again for us? I'll say it this way. What uncomfortable sacrifice is God asking you to make? Is he asking you to leave behind something in your personal life? Is he asking you to leave behind something in your work life? Is he asking you, is there some sort of player, some sort of uh, uh, pleasure, some sort of uh, indulgence that you love to have, and he's asking you to, to love me more than these? And again, I will say this, I had about 800 words right here for this whole section that I had to cut out because we would be here till the next service, right? So suffice it to say, I'll leave you with that question. We'll probably talk about it in the groups. But I want to leave you with this. I've been a pastor for six and a half years, relatively short ministry, but I've had enough conversations to know, uh, enough conversations with people who maybe called themselves Christians but are away from church, haven't gone to church, uh, disconnected themselves from church, maybe don't even call themselves Christians anymore, or, or people who have been away for months or years on end. And I pray for humility every conversation I have. I try to. Because I can't read their heart, but essentially something that I'll say is, you know, God says our faith is strengthened when we're in the word and receiving his sacraments. And I know where that happens. And I know you haven't been there. And I just want to know what's going on because it seems incredibly spiritually unhealthy what you're doing. And the responses I'd get, as you can imagine, are <laughs> varied. Well, you know, pastor, worship is kind of boring. And there's all the sorts of stuff going on and it just doesn't seem really that relevant to me. And you know, I, I feel like I experience God better when I'm doing this or when I'm out here rather than in a building rather than gathering together every week with a bunch of people that I don't know. And, you know, Pastor, I, I just am so busy with my personal life and with my, my work life that I feel God will understand. And I can't read their heart. And maybe some of that's true. Or maybe it's that you know that when you get close to Jesus and his word in a place like this, that his call to discipleship makes you incredibly uncomfortable because he's telling you to sacrifice all these things and you don't want to. Maybe he knows that sleeping with your, your boyfriend or your girlfriend who's not your spouse is a rejection into his call to discipleship and when you come to this place, it makes you awkward because you have to confront that with yourself and you don't want to. So you, you walk away from it altogether because it's weird. Maybe it's because you know you come to a place like this and we prioritize God. <laughs> like the crosses all over the place, the stained glass windows, like everything, the message from the music through the liturgy, throughout the, it's all focused on God and maybe you know I, I don't and I struggle with that. Or maybe, maybe what's awkward is you come to a place like this where God calls you to leave behind the worldly, leave behind the material, leave behind the old ways and it makes you uncomfortable because that's what you're clinging to. That's what you're finding your identity in. That's what you're finding. It's filling you up, but it's not quite doing it. And, and maybe that's the thing. And you're, you're so uncomfortable that you just walk away from it. But understand, yeah, getting close to Jesus, it's uncomfortable. But it's so worth it. 
Because Jesus does not get into your boat. He does not get into your personal space and all up in your grill to judge you. But understand, this is the God who left behind the 99 sheep, went looking for that one lost sheep, high and low, and when he found it, what did he do? Did he scold it? Did he, you know, give it a kick? Or he's, No, he throws it over his shoulders, and what's he do? Angels, I got him. We got her. We're going to throw a party. This is a celebration. That's your God. That's who Jesus is. The God who endured the literal hell that you deserved to give you the heaven that you don't, that's who this God is. Come to judge you? He's come to take your judgment from you. He came and put it on himself. It was nailed to him on the cross so that he could renew you. He could forgive you. And he could transform you into the person that he knows you're meant to be. Getting close to Jesus is not just humbling. It's affirming. It is... It is the most, it is the closest love, it is the the best love, it is the most fulfilling, it is the one thing that will fill you up that this world cannot offer, right? That's who Jesus is. So follow him and ask yourself, where is he asking you to go? What deep waters is he asking you to push out in? What areas in your life does he say, cast down your nets and you're saying, I can't do it, I'm doubtful. Has he given you any reason to question him? No. So trust him. Submit to him. Let down your nets. Even when it goes against every fiber of your being, your rationale, your emotion, your personality. And let him renew you. Let him transform you into the you you were always meant to be. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, you dropped everything in heaven to rescue us from our sins. Help us, regardless of what we think or feel, to lower our nets and push out in the water to obedience to you. May this be for your ministry and your glory. Amen.